about what love looks like. This was a lesson that I learned early on in my marriage. When I married Stacy, she's from Houston, she had never been north of the Red River, okay? She had been east and west, she had been to the Caribbean, she'd been to Hawaii, but she had never been north. So we got married and headed off to seminary in New Jersey where she experienced her very first real winter. Now, as you can imagine, we both got the flu that year, and this is where the learning began. So I got sick first, got the flu, and well, here's what you need to know. In Stacy's family of origin, when someone got sick, they went to bed, and Stacy's mother would fluff the pillows and feed them soup and read articles out of magazines. When I was growing up, when we got sick, we had the decency to put ourselves to bed and people would leave us alone because they loved us. So Stacy gets, or, uh, so I got sick and I, being a decent human being, put myself to bed and I shut the door. And she kept coming in to fluff my pillows and feed me soup and tea and read me magazine articles, and she annoyed the heck out of me. Don't you love me? Leave me alone. Well, it wasn't long before I shared the flu with her. So she was sick, and she went to bed. And because I loved my wife, I left her alone. And she was so annoyed. But the lesson that we both learned that winter is it's not enough just to love someone. We have to learn to love people the way they need to be loved. We don't all receive or understand or look at love the same way. I think this is the lesson that's going on in our Scripture reading this morning about a little interaction that takes place between Jesus and and Peter. Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to John in the 21st chapter. Let me set this up for you. So we're a, a, a few weeks past Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus has been raised from the grave, and he has appeared to Peter and James and John and Mary, and dozens if not hundreds of disciples have witnessed the risen Christ. But people are a little confused Pentecost hasn't happened yet. The Holy Spirit has not come upon the disciples. There's still a, a lack of understanding about what they're supposed to do with this experience. Uh, what are they supposed to, to uh, what's the mission now? And it's kind of this, this period of praying and longing and wondering, well, confusion, bewilderment. They, they don't know. And so Peter does what he always does when he's confused and bewildered. He goes fishing. And he takes some of his disciple buddies with him. So they go out onto the Sea of Tiberias, and they're fishing all night long, nothing. It is just a disaster. And not just because it's no fun, but remember, there's a little pride here. These guys were professional fishermen before Jesus called them to be disciples. So you know these guys went out there thinking, oh, we're going to bring in a haul, and the nets are empty. Well, the sun is coming up, and they're coming back to shore and some clown from the beach yells out, hey, don't have much in your nets, do you? And they're like, well, no, not really. Well, put them out on the other side of the boat. And they think, what? 
but they do. And we're told that they haul in a huge number of fish. And suddenly, one of the guys in the boat says, hey, that's not just some clown on the beach. That's Jesus. That's the risen Lord. And Peter jumps out, and he swims ashore and throws his arms around Jesus. And doing the things that Jesus does, he's not just standing on the beach criticizing their fishing. He actually was making them breakfast. He's got fish frying, cakes on the griddle. He's ready to go, and so they get out of the boat. They come, and Jesus feeds them breakfast. Now, while everybody's sitting around the fire, getting their fill of breakfast, he pulls Simon Peter aside, wants to have a little talk with him. And this is where our Scripture picks up. Uh, Chapter 21, beginning with the 15th verse. Let us listen for God's Word to us. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks. You never fail in blessing us in the reading and hearing of your sacred word. May that word find its home in our hearts this day. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon me, guiding my thoughts removing from my lips any words but your own, that with faithfulness and with integrity I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. Some of you perhaps are familiar with a little book by a guy named Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. Anybody read it? If you haven't, you should. One of the best books ever about interpersonal relationships. Not just between husband and wife, but between parents and children, um, but between anyone who is significant in your life, great book. Basically, in a nutshell, he says that there are five ways that people show and receive love. Let's see if I can remember. You can probably recite this better than I can. Um, There's uh, sharing words of affection, telling people what they mean to you. There is um, the um, um, uh, spending quality time together. There's the giving and receiving of gifts. The fourth language is the rendering of service and help. And the fifth is physical touching. Five different ways that people receive and express love. Now, we all have a dominant language that we speak and that we hear. And so he says the key is, first of all, we have to do some introspection. 
We have to examine our own life and our own heart, and we need to learn how do we like to be loved. What things that our parents, our wife, our husband, our children do express love to us. And then we have to take the next step and learn how our wife, our husband, our children, our parents, or significant others, how do they like to be loved? What says love to them? And then the third step is loving the other person, not the way we like to be loved, but the way that they need to be loved. In other words, when my wife gets sick, I need to fluff her pillows. Get it? We need to learn to love people the way they recognize love. I think that's what was going on with Jesus and Peter. Okay, so the resurrection has happened. It's clear that, that Jesus is more than just some, some itinerant preacher or some rabbi or some miracle worker or some healer. Jesus is bigger than that. Jesus is the Son of God risen from the dead. And so he calls the disciples and he gets Peter together and he's got one last lesson for him. He says, Peter, do you love me? Well, yeah, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. In other words... Here's how you show your love for me, by feeding my sheep, by taking care of one another. You know, for centuries, perhaps millennium, human beings have been trying to express their love and their devotion to God, whatever God they worship, in all sorts of ways. Human beings built incredible temples and altars and offered, offered sacrifices of all kind and created very elaborate rituals and liturgies. We observed calendars and the passing of moons, and, and, and we came up with these great lists of do's and don'ts, commandments, and, and, and things that this will please God, and if we can just be good enough or right enough or, or offer this sacrifice, then God will know that we love God. And what Jesus is saying in this conversation with Peter is that that's not how God sees love. What, God, what love looks like to God is feeding the sheep, taking care of one another, attending to the poor and the homeless, giving a voice to the oppressed, embracing the lonely and the friendless, Feed my sheep. That's what love looks like to God. I remember the first overseas mission trip I ever went to. This is back in the uh, early 90s. Went down to uh, Laogon, Haiti, which later, of course, was the epicenter of that, that devastating earthquake. And I went to go spend 10 days with Rodney and Sharon Babe. Maybe some of you know Rodney and Sharon. Wonderful PCUSA missionaries down there. Um, Sharon was an educator, and she spent her time doing a lot of health education and just basic sanitation uh, and baby care for, for new mothers. And Rodney was doing agricultural work, trying to reforest the, the devastated agricultural land of Haiti. 
And they also had this amazing network. I was just so impressed of, of uh, Bible studies and worshiping communities and just house churches. And so every morning we met 10 days, and I don't think we met with the same people twice. Different, uh, we had a Bible study here, we had a house church here, we had a devotion this night. So for 10 days, in the morning and at night, we were worshiping with some group of Christians in Haiti. Now, before I had gone, I'd never been on a mission trip before. I talked to some of my colleagues about what to expect, and they said, well, you know, often when you go to one of these places, the visiting pastors expected to just kind of spontaneously give a sermon. So you might want to think about that. And I said, really? He said, yeah, you'll just be having lunch and somebody will ask you to preach. And I thought, really? Um, that rarely happens in the United States. <laughs> but so I had prepared, and I had worked out like three or four little sermonettes that, that I kind of had in my hip pocket, that I was ready to go. I even learned a few Haitian Creole phrases so I could speak to them in their own language, and, and I had worked real hard coming up on some, uh, some sermon illustrations that would be culturally relevant, that they would connect with, that, you know, weren't so American. And so I'd really put some, I mean, I put some effort into that. And, um, and I went down there, and every day, in the morning and the evening, we're worshiping, and we get to about the eighth or ninth day, and, and I have yet to be asked to say a word. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you, I was more relieved than anything, okay? I really was. But it was curious. And Rodney and I had developed a nice relationship, and so I asked him, I said, are you going to want me to say anything at any point? And he looked at me and said, why would I? And I said, I don't know. I was just told that these, this is the sort of thing that happens. And he said, no, you have to earn the right to speak the Word of God to these people. You have to earn the right to speak the Word of God. And I said, well, how do you do that? He said, well, you teach them, you feed them, you heal them, you provide shelter, you cry with them, you dance with them, you laugh with them, you live with them, you love them. And once they know that you love them, they may listen to something you have to say. And I never forgot that lesson. You have to earn the right to speak the Word of God to people. You have to love them in the way that they need to be loved. You all know that um, um, people are fleeing the church right and left. And people who aren't in the church rarely ever give it a second thought. And membership and worship participation, everything at churches has been, been going down the tubes for a long time. I was at this conference out at Ghost Ranch just a couple weeks ago, and the presenter was saying they've now got these new research that um, basically shows that church participation is declining in every type of church, whether it's conservative or liberal or evangelical or Roman Catholic or mainline or whatever, there's only two groups that have shown any significant growth over the last 10 years. Black Pentecostal churches and uh, Latino and Southeast Asian Roman Catholic churches. Those are the only churches that have showed significant growth in 10 years. Now, I will not pretend to stand in front of you and tell you I've got the answer for, de uh, for declining churches or for turning around this trend, but it occurred to me that maybe part of the problem is that the church of Jesus Christ has not 
earn the right to speak the Word of God. Perhaps, despite our best efforts, we're not loving the world the way the world needs to be loved. Now, it's not intentional. I don't think it's arrogance or anything like that. I just think we haven't been paying attention. We've gotten so good at doing what we do that we can't imagine that they don't receive it as love, and yet, more often than not, it's not received as loving. I think we need to pay closer attention to what love looks like. What does love look like to God? What does love look like to the world around us? And maybe then, maybe then we begin to love others as they need to be loved. I don't know, but I'm betting it's worth a try. Amen.